Good morning, everybody. Welcome into Mining Stock Daily and our Friday morning long-form episode of the week. Uh, this big spe- shout-out to the Association for Mineral Exploration. Uh, wrapped up the Roundup Conference yesterday, and it was great to be back in Vancouver to see everybody. A ton of content. Uh, if you, uh, you probably weren't able to catch every single episode, uh, but there's so much to catch up on and, and go back and listen to all those episodes we published throughout the week. Uh, we've got two interviews for you today, so not as long as our typical Friday episode, uh, but it's, it's still important. First, we are going to connect with Frederick Bell from Elemental Royalties to discuss his take on this hostile takeover bid from Gold Royalty. Lots of insight here from Fred, and certainly worth the listen. Uh, Paul Harris takes the reins on that interview. And then we welcome in from Jose Maria Resources, Adam Lundin, uh, discussing Jose Maria, the acquisition by Lundin Mining, and kind of how that's all playing out. And then we just kind of get into the little background of being a part of that Lundin family and, and the, the genesis of his evolution into the business. It just really fascinating, kind of opened up uh, his life a little bit. So special thanks to Adam for joining me at the, uh, at the table here at Roundup. Many thanks to our sponsors. I'd like to thank Western Copper and Gold, Integra Resources, Arizona Sonoran Copper, and Rio2 for your continued support of the podcast. If you have any questions or would like to reach out, please email me, trevor at clearcreekdigital.com. And if you wouldn't mind, please leave a review of the podcast on the network you choose to listen to the content. I really, really appreciate it. All right, let's turn it over to Paul and his discussion with Mr. Fred Bell, and then we'll take a short break and be back with Adam Lundin. Take care, everybody. Have a wonderful week. Hello and welcome to Mining Stock Daily with me, Paul Harris. Today, we're talking about royalties. The royalty space is getting even more interesting. I'm joined by Frederick Bell, CEO of Elemental Royalties. Good morning, Frederick. Good morning, Paul. Good to have you here. Now, uh, Elemental Royalties is in the news at the moment because another royalty company, Gold Royalties, has made a hostile bid to, to take you over. Um, I suppose in some ways that's flattering, but uh, you, uh, the management team and the board have uh, categorically rejected the offer and, and told your shareholders or advise your shareholders to to take no action and to basically to reject it. Um, let, let's start there. Why why did you sort of say, decide or see that um, it's not a good bid for your shareholders? Well, I would almost turn it around and say that um, our shareholders, the majority, an absolute majority of elemental shareholders turned around and told us that they were not intending to accept this offer. Um, and, um, and obviously, in a, in a situation like this, we'd always consult with our shareholders as well. Um, and, and when we get, a, um, I think, a, a, a pretty comprehensive answer in the way that we have, an absolute majority of elemental shareholders have said they do not intend to accept this offer. Um, it is, it's very clear at that point that it does not have traction. It is not attractive. And the reasons for that, um, we have, we've laid out um, in, our, in our presentation on our website and, and in our director circular, which are all public, but I think the, the really some of the fundamental reasons are um, we are being offered 12% of the equity in a company where um, we would be contributing 60% plus of the revenue um, in the year ahead. And um, a very significant part of the revenue 
um, in in the following years. And and clearly, that is um, that is a a good deal for gold royalty shareholders, but it is not a good deal for elemental shareholders. And okay. um, how would go ahead? <laughs> uh, I was just going to put a, a little bit of detail onto what um, gold royalty has offered. They're they're looking at an all share deal um, under which. Uh, Gold Royalty will give 0.27 shares of Gold Royalty for each Elemental share, which it says value, values Elemental at $1.78 Canadian per share, which they say is a 37% premium and implies a total equity value of about 130 million Canadian on a fully diluted in the money basis. Um, now, it's, it's interesting what you're saying. You, you, you're, you, elemental starting to cash flow. Um, we, we talked a bit offline. Um, you you got a, a quite a, a good royalty portfolio from South Thirty Two in twenty twenty. One of those is the Carla Winder royalty, a two percent NSI in Australia. And as you mentioned, that that's starting to sort of cash flow. So let, let's talk a little bit about that. What what's Carla Winder going to going to do for the company this year and, and going forward? I I think this um, <laughs> fits into the story for for Elemental Management of twenty twenty two being another record year for us in terms of revenue. And um, to be clear, uh, every year since we have started the company um, has been a record to date. Um, and we expect when we announce our results for 2021 in February, um, we expect that 2021 will be another record for the company in terms of revenue. Um, and 2022 will be even more so. And the key driver of that is, is both the Carla Winder royalty, um, which had its first quarter of commercial production in Q4 2021. So, so this year will be the first year of full production from it. And at current gold prices anticipated to be four, four and a half million US dollars a year to Elemental. Um, but then in addition, uh, the Mercedes royalty, um, uh, currently owned by Equinox, um, being sold to Bear Creek Mining, that, that asset starts paying us um, the royalty from July this year. So in our existing portfolio, we have two key assets coming on stream in a commercial way this year. And, and that is again, um, part of the reason why both Elemental Management Board, Special Committee advisors and shareholders concluded that this offer was opportunistic. Um, it did not reflect full value. And I would highlight as well that um, the gold royalty offer um, in all equity was, was nominally um, Canadian 178 for Elemental shareholders, $1.78. Um, that was based on the closing price of gold royalty shares on Friday the 17th of December. Um, and if you look on a three-month chart if you look at, across an average time that that was not a um, reflective of the of the average gold royalty share price and at their current share price um, will you take 27th of, of January um, on the close um, that was an effective offer to elemental of, of 137 Canadian which was very similar to our share price prior to the hostile offer and actually does not represent a premium at all um, and so again I think all of this is is part of the rationale um, for Elemental coming out um, with a with a very clear view that this is not a compelling proposition. Thank you. Um, the, the way the, the Gold Royalty made its bid or made its bid known, um, it was also um, quite unusual, I think, because they didn't make a formal approach to company management. They um, they launched the bid just before Christmas and through basically a press release direct to, to your shareholders. So there hadn't been any, from what I understand, there hadn't been any prior sort of engagement with management. Say, look, here, here's our bid, here's our formal bid. They just put a press release out 
a few days before Christmas saying to the, your shareholders, hey, here's an opportunity for you? Yeah, yes. And I, I think that, um, to be clear, in their circular, um, they do, um, and in ours, um, it is mentioned that um, they they made an approach to the company um, uh, previously. I, I think it was um, uh, in... Um, in uh, September, um, October, and um, and and then um, they made a uh, a few days before they they launched or they made the formal announcement of the hostile bid. Um, they they made that same proposal to us privately, and um, I think we gave them the same. Um, or we sort of, you know, we we told them um, the same position that it, it would not get traction with our shareholders, um, and it was also the view of the board. That it was not an attractive proposal, um, and so that is, uh, I think, um, Gold Royalty have clearly now had the opportunity to to put it to our shareholders. Um, our shareholders have had the benefit of reviewing the Gold Royalty circular and the Elemental circular, and the conclusion from that um, has been that the majority of shareholders, an absolute majority, do not intend to accept this offer. And that was, I should add, that was on the basis of a gold royalty 178 offer price. And, and the current price as of close on the 27th of January was actually 137 for implied or consideration for elemental shareholders. So it is a long way off what even their first offer that was unacceptable um, is. Okay, thank you. Um, and I don't want to put words into your mouth, but um, a few days ago, gold royalty entered into a an agreement to for a secured revolving credit facility of up to 25 million us so it seems that potentially they will have the ability to sweeten the offer with a cash component um obviously nothing's come out yet and uh, i imagine you can't comment on that because obviously it's just my speculation but it seems that uh, they may be preparing to come back with with a, at least a cash component or a sweetened offer um but let, let's talk more about um, um, Elemental now. Be, before this came along, what were you planning for 2022? What was the, the things you were looking to, um, how, how were you looking to advance the company this year before you were perhaps sidetracked a little bit by uh, Gold Royalty's uh, unsolicited offer? Well, I, one of the uh, <clears throat> 2022 for us was, um, it was going to be a key year in the company's history, both because um, we were um, almost doubling our revenue just from organic growth from our portfolio. Um, but also um, we've been clear that we're, uh, we continue to look at a number of acquisitions. And I think that um, probably in an interview in November last year, um, so a, a month maybe before we, we had the hostile bid from Gold Royalty, um, we actually said that we were getting to the point as a company where for the first time we were really going to start looking to build out our project pipeline. And, um, and that's something that we have been very disciplined in, in how we've built the company to date. And we have built a portfolio that is 80% producing assets um, and no doubt at all that that is the attraction of Elemental, um, not only to a gold royalty, but, but to a number of other companies. Um, it is the quality of our portfolio, the stage of the assets, the fact that they are majority de-risked and in production. Um, and for us, that was the foundation of a really strong royalty company to grow. If you can do the hardest part first, everyone knows that there are opportunities to add development, exploration assets into the portfolio as you grow. But if you can get that portfolio of diversified revenue, we are as diversified as a mid-tier $2 billion miner. 
but we're sitting here as a $100 million market cap. And that is what is unique about Elemental. I think it's the motivation for someone to launch a hostile bid on us opportunistically before, um, just before Christmas. Um, and I think that it is, it's a reason that we actually see a very, um, you know, we see a lot of opportunity ahead of us um, to, to build out the portfolio and the pipeline. And I think when counterparties look at us, even royalty owners look at us, they see a high quality portfolio um, that doesn't have a lot of fat in it. Um, and, and that really, um, uh, when you look at the optionality that you get when you have royalties over operating mines, um, it, it's fantastic. And you, you can go through the history of the royalty space and you can pick out a dozen examples of royalties on assets that have, um, that have grown exponentially with time as the operator has continued to explore and put money in the ground. And, and so I think for us, our two largest cornerstone assets are both um, actually very new mines. Wang Yon had first gold pour in production at the end of 2019. Um, and Carla Winder had first gold pour in production um, last year and its first quarter of production and second in the last quarter of last year. So when our two biggest assets, two new mines, have recently come on stream very successfully, de-risked, and are either hitting guidance or significantly above guidance, um, those operators are now starting to invest significant amount of money in exploration. And Endeavor, a top 10 gold miner um, at Wang Yon, I think they spent 12 million US dollars last year on exploration. They've committed $9 million in exploration this year. They have publicly spoken to the fact that they intend to add one and a half to two million ounces in measured and indicated resources by the end of 2025. So we look at it and go, these are long life assets at the start of their life. They have got through the hardest part, the riskiest part. And so actually selling them now, it, it doesn't make sense. Um, you would want to see some of that value come through. You would want to see the operators conducting exploration and that value coming to elemental shareholders. Um, rather than being 12% in a, in, a, in a company that is, I think, predominantly exploration assets and early stage assets, and, and where we have always had the view that we can go out into the market and buy those at a, at a, at a discount if we want to. Well, you, looking at your portfolio, you've got quite a bit of geographical diversification. Obviously, you've got quite a bit of strength in Western Australia. I guess that comes from South 32, but you've also got producing uh, royalties in South America and, and Africa. So uh, as you look to potentially acquire um, new 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 assets or new new royalties, where geographically are you, are you looking or would you like to pick them up? And in terms of acquiring them, um, I, you're cash flowing, so I guess you've got the option of paying cash and stock or combination thereof um, to bring in new assets into the uh, into the company. So in terms of jurisdiction, we're, um, we, we do have quite a diverse portfolio. We've successfully acquired um, five producing royalties in different countries um, with different operators. So we actually have, uh, I think, a very proven track record in terms of executing on opportunities where we see them and um and i think that north america remains a focus for us i think um we'd, we'd definitely like to being canadian listed um would like to add some assets in north america but um for us it's always been a it's always been a trade-off between the the geology and um the exploration potential and i think also the 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 quality and security of the jurisdiction and so for us we are over 60 percent Australia tier one jurisdiction. Um, and we also have some really, really exciting exploration upside 
um, in Mexico at Mercedes and in um, uh, Wang Yon in Burkina Faso. And I think that blend will be something we continue to target going forwards. Um, in terms of how we acquire them, it, it very much is um, deal by deal dependent. So we would use a mix of cash, equity, um, and and also credit facilities. Um, and that was credit facility is something that we have talked to in the past um, that we're targeting to um, both have increased the size of our credit facility, lower the borrowing cost. Um, and that is a sign of a maturing company um, being able to do that with a good portfolio. So I think, again, that's an area we would like to um, like to build on um, in 2022. Well, one sort of, sort of final question, and this is perhaps, I guess, more of a, a, a structural aspect. The majority of the, the royalty companies are North American listed. Um, you've obviously got a, a big strength, but asset strength in Australia. Um, is is that something that's potentially at some point in the future uh, attractive to you, perhaps having a secondary listing on the ASX? Um, and also, why don't you think there are as many royalty companies on the ASX as there is as there are in North America? Uh, that's a great question. Um, how long have you got, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's I, I, I've always found it fascinating on a personal level that two of the richest families in Australia. Um, really made their wealth from, from mining royalties. And, and that is um, you know, iron ore royalties, um, largely in the Pilbara. And yet Australia hasn't had, uh, hasn't really ever had a royalty sector. Um, I think it might be partly a quirk of history um, that uh, the, the largest royalty company and the oldest royalty company in the mining space um, in, is in North America. And um, subsequently, I think, and certainly when we listed in Canada, we found that there was a very good understanding of the royalty model amongst investors in North America in particular, in a way that Australian investors and UK investors um, you know, weren't as familiar with. Um, interestingly, we have seen Wheaton have a secondary listing in London last year, um, and we saw Eluca, uh, uh, a mineral sands producer, spin out um, uh, a major royalty they owned in Australia as well. So you have seen the start of, I think, the royalty space starting to expand in the UK and Australia. And I actually think it is helpful for a company like an Elemental for some of the larger players to establish a bridgehead and to educate the market. Um, and, it, you know, actually, I think if, if, they, um, if they progress out and educate investors in the market, um, then potentially there are opportunities for us um, down the line. To, to, to some extent, piggyback off the work and effort that they have done. Um, but at this stage, um, I'll be honest, we, we've only made it over to um, North America once since we listed in person because of COVID. So I think at this stage, a lot of our focus is getting the story out there um, in, in Canada and the US um, and, and introducing the company to people and um, hoping that this year, 2022, I'm sure like a lot of people, hoping this year will be the year that we can do some more traveling um, and we can meet some of our um, investors, potential investors, existing shareholders, meet them face to face, um, as well as meeting, you know, royalty owners, companies um, on the business development side as well. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Rodrigo. I wish you all the best with that. Um, Element Royalties Trades on the TSXV under ELE and on the OTCQX under ELEMF. Frederick Bell, CEO, thank you very much for joining us today. Much appreciated, Paul. Thank you. 
And that's all from me, Paul Harris. Join us for more interviews from Mining Stock Daily soon. We're back here on Mining Stock Daily with a, a conversation I have had on the schedule for a little while now. I've been really looking forward to following up. Finally, on his home turf, uh, Mr. Adam Lundin, President and CEO of Jose Maria Resources. Uh, Adam, it's a pleasure to meet you in person, actually. Likewise, Trevor. Good to be in person. First, always on the phone or yeah. video. <laughs> or Zoom yeah. something. Something, yeah. I remember... Um, the first time you and I connected, I think we just had a brief phone call, and you were somewhere overseas in Europe or something. And, but then you like you quickly transitioned back here. Yeah. And like, I, I guess I'm curious about the timing of that all because it kind of goes into state. Like you, the the London group sits on projects for a while until they feel like the market's turning, and so like. Was that kind of part of your getting back here to Canada to get start getting serious about the work? I think, well, like, I guess we talked and I was, must have been in Geneva yeah. visiting my old man. Um, and so I do that on a regular basis, go and see him and, and give him the updates or As talk, you talk strategy, which is nice. So I'm kind of out there almost once a month. Um, but I think we've, like, we have a clear advantage because with the family being the biggest shareholder in, in most identities and we wanting to continue to push projects forward. I think they're, now the projects are, are in the limelight because we're in a, tif- a terrific commodity market. Um, but also in those dark years or those tough times, we were still able to push projects forward and, and Jose Maria be able to push forward. And then now if you want to look at development plays, everyone's just getting going because maybe the capital's available. But you know, once the copper market turned and we're finishing a feasibility study, I think any other junior company probably still collecting information to get to that point. So, mm-hmm. um, and then our projects stand out a lot more in the good market because we've been pushing them forward in, in, in the bad markets because we have that access to capital. Uh, not everybody has the benefit to do that though. I mean, yeah. the, the, you know, Lundin family's had so much success over the decades that you, you can have that strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, but and, and you kind of it's like it kind of feels like there's a, a new chapter is unfolding here. Yeah, totally. I think we always want to remain adaptive, and like it's it's very new for us. Like, you know, we announced uh, the lending energy transaction with Acre BP, which is scheduled to close in June. But like, I never remember my life really without lending energy in it, and so it's weird for that to get sold. We'll still be a 15% owner of the combined company, but as we look to kind of, you know, we're still very bullish on oil, but maybe take, I guess, a, a, a small step back and start to reposition and really focus on, on copper because that's where 
we're extremely bullish. Yeah, it's meant you mentioned the transition from oil to copper. We there was a massive um, uh, mining conference in Saudi Arabia just like two weeks ago. You know, yeah. Robert Friedland was part of it and gave a speech, and um, you know, a couple other you know big names I'm sure you know of. Uh, but it's interesting that it was happening in Saudi. Yeah, you know, they, I think they see the writing on the wall. Obviously, they see the writing, and obviously, and so does Russia. Like, there's a big article yesterday in the Financial Times, and and when we're going for ordering long lead items, uh, you see them in the queues. Mm -hmm. So, seeing like Saudi and Russia, right, two big oil producers, you're going to have to diversify, and and they're fortunate obviously big countries and, and well endowed in minerals as well. So you see them wanting to start to make that shift. Yeah, so you see this push over on on the east side of mm -hmm. the world, the yeah. eastern hemisphere. Where does that leave the western hemisphere, That's specifically US and Canada? Because it feels like we just don't have the backbone to really get some of this stuff done that we know needs to be done. Yeah, we kind of got to get going. Like what I see is, you know, like China, Russia, Saudi, is like when you have the state companies and and political situation or they're lined up and, and when they're in sync with each other they can move very quickly and get a lot of things done I think in the states and Canada you know the private sector and the government aren't always aligned and it's tough but you know there's so much potential especially in Canada to you know twin pipelines yeah east or west to, to help us export more and and, and help and help that industry out. I think, you know, we should should be helping Alberta and, and they get a, we're carrying the country for, for a long time. Um, but yeah, no, and same with the States. Like, it'd be nice, I think it'd be nice for countries not to have to be relying on other countries when it comes to raw materials, but we're going down the opposite path today. Yeah, yeah. well, uh, the, the district that you're working on obviously is in the Argentinian side, but it, you know, right on the border there with Chile. Yeah. I mean, that area of the world is not without its historic jurisdictional risk, not even historic, yeah. and there is some present jurisdictional yeah. risk. Can you give us a comment on kind of how you're watching this all unfold? Yeah, I think, you know, obviously mining is, is the backbone for Chile, and you see change wanting to happen so i don't know if it was being you know distributed properly between society like you go to antifagasta and you know there's some clear upgrades you can you can mm -hmm. do there and i i think you'll you'll get more buy-in from from society but i don't see them you know go, moving away from mining they understand what it provides for the country and they'll they'll come around um but when you get those hard, swift turns and changes, it gives other companies, you know, they want to pause on mm -hmm. making further investment until the situation stabilizes. So that, again, bodes well for, for the copper price. And you saw that happen in Peru and then uh, as well as Chile. And then in Argentina, you know, been there for 30 years. So we, we, we've seen the ups and downs and, and definitely see them opening and understanding, you know, the you know, green metal revolution and, and them being well endowed in, in copper and have big projects there, not only Jose Maria and Philo, but El Pachon with Glencore, Los Azules with McEwen, Taka Taka with First Quantum. You know, it's like when I think about us getting into Ecuador, there was a, tons of exploration potential. Argentina, if they want to open up, there's tons of development potential. So you can actually see quite a quick turn in the economy by getting uh, your mining sector going and been very encouraged with the dialogue 
been having with, with Argentina. Argentina has always had a little bit of volatility until recently, but it's kind of a little kind of ironic that Argentina now seems like the safest play down. Yeah. <laughs> I think everyone looking for a safe jurisdiction, like, let's not kid ourselves. I mean, you're going into other people's countries, like, for essentially your, your contractor, um, and it's their resource, and, and it, unless they want to be, you know, partnership and you guys working hand in hand, it's never going to work. And I see Argentina, you know, wanting to be good partners with, with mining companies. So mm -hmm. it'll start to open up. Uh, you know, I'm really kind of curious just about like you and your upbringing, kind of the evolution of your career and, and your education. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously you come from a family that's been involved in this industry for such a long time. Can you talk about the experience you gained non-academically, just, you know, at the dinner table or, you know, hanging out with your dad and your grandfather and kind of getting that experience? But then when did it transition to academic and business and learning the, learning the ropes of the markets and finance? Yeah, I think it was key. Like, seeing first seeing, like, how passionate my grandpa and father were about the business you kind of like, what's kind of going on here? Like, these guys are way too excited. Like, yeah. that seems pretty cool to be a part of. Um, and then the big thing for me was getting away, sent away for, for summer jobs. And starting, I think, first summer job was uh, 17. And so I would come home from boarding school and kind of kind of hide. And then my dad would get home from work and be like, what are you doing here? I was like, I'm, I'm back from school. And he's like, all right, come to the office tomorrow. He's like, oh, okay, here we go. And you come to the office and be like, okay, you're going to Ghana for seven weeks it's like really it's like i just got back like what'd you do in ghana i was uh line cutting oh good for you yeah that's and, awesome and that was a and so those jobs on the ground experience because obviously you're coming in and it's kind of like the boss's kid this guy's got to be super soft and so it's like you're kind of dismissed and you're like okay i understand this i'm just gonna have to prove myself to earn my colleagues respect that's that's fine and once you do that uh, and you co and you connect, and then you start hearing those people's stories, and, and like the ripple effect of mining is just immense. Like, you know, the contractors, the equipment, everything it does to society is so beneficial if it's done the right way. So then you want to get involved even more. And so yeah, I had various summer jobs. You know, northern BC, uh, Chile, and um, and Ghana, and always kind of was on the exploration side of things mm -hmm. because that was kind of like always on the forefront and always cool. Uh, so focused a lot on that. And, and that's where I got a lot of experience, hands-on. School I was no good at. <laughs> <laughs> were people uh, maybe harder on you because they knew you were the boss's kid? I think they, ju they just thought you were going to be like a wimp, right? And so, you know, in Ghana, when we were leading a, a line-cutting team, uh, it was good. Like we're in the deep bush in the jungle, and uh, we just had machetes and our compass and yeah. cutting grid. And so, once you show you can keep up or even lead the team, everyone's like so much, so much more welcoming. And yeah. It was the same in like northern BC, line cutting uh, with a great group of guys. Like we had a chainsaw, so that was a little better than uh, than uh, machete. But it's just good experience and just really good people. I find in the mining business. When did you make the transition from you know boots on the ground to you know the high rise corporate office type? So it was like, had all those summer jobs, um, then was bad at school, and also being the third generation, like when my grandpa started it, he needed his boys, uh, my uncle and my dad, right away for guys he could, he could trust. And then, you know, they, they were successful, and then, you know, me and my brothers and cousins, like third generation coming up, it was, you're not needed. 
right? Yeah. You have it. We like the success of the group is uh, is the people in the group that make it successful, like the Jamie Becks and Boytech uh, and Bob's, like so many people to name. So you kind of have to. Wasn't good at school, and then I kind of went and, and was on the brokerage side of the business and did investment banking, and then helped with the Philo spin out from NGX, and then Voitech was kind of CEO of a couple companies, and I always felt okay if I'm going to join the group. Uh, you know, I want to be asked, and then also it probably makes sense to, to come in as CEO because I always have that direct rapport with, you know, if my dad's chairman, I think it'd be awkward if I was, you know, not CEO right, and had right. a better line of communication to the chairman to put maybe, you know, the CEO in a, in a tough spot. So super fortunate and super pleased when uh, 2000, I think 17, when they asked me to be C uh, CEO of Philo. Yeah. Um, it's, it's what you just described was very similar to where where I grew up in in, in central you know in Nebraska and farm country. Like a lot of farming families had lots of kids because they needed the help. Yeah. You know. Yeah. They needed the the, the horsepower, right? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Uh, it, it, was there ever a time? I mean, it, it's it almost seems like listen, your path was written in the stars. Like this is what you're going to do. Was there ever a time where you're like? Man, I like, I know this is important to my family, but like I maybe want to do something else. I don't know. I, I never. No. <laughs> no, I never. Like again, I think it comes from like the passion. Everyone's super passionate what they do, and so you want to be a part of it. And then getting that exposure very young, um, you just knew that was your calling card. And and even though I didn't go into the business and, and went onto the brokerage side, I was still promoting mining and oil stocks and then helping raise money and getting projects off the ground so you fell a part of it. Um, but no, I've, I've never, yeah, never thought about doing anything different. Wow, that's really fascinating. Yeah. Not even once. Like I guess maybe in maybe high I'm school I played up. basketball <laughs> yeah, and it's like, okay, <laughs> I'm gonna be a basketball player and then it's like, who are you kidding? <laughs> like you can't even get off the ground. <laughs> uh, Give me a sense of kind of how you're following markets and global economies right now. It's, I mean, we're obviously in a very volatile time. We continue to have discussions about implications of rising inflation, uh, rising interest rates. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, here we are Thursday morning and interest rates are on the rise once again, mm -hmm. uh, especially in Europe. You know, when you take a step back and watch all this happening, you know, what, 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 are, your, what are your kind of takeaways? What does this forest look like right now? Like, I think when I look at it, you know, the Fed's come out and said, we're going to raise rates and maybe by, you know, 25 basis points or 50 basis points. Um, but until they do that, you're going to have this uncertainty. And right. so until they actually make a move, I think we're going to see fluctuations. But I, I guess they'll make a decision in March and then the market will decide which, which way to go. But obviously, I don't think they can do 50 basis points. Maybe they start with 25. Um, and maybe that that calms the markets but uh i think you know once everything opens back up maybe inflation starts to get get a bit under control um but they'll have to raise rates uh moderately and then i just wake up and kind of you look at commodities and the commodities are up probably the dollar soft and then i know which way the stocks are going what, do, what does a, a rising interest rate environment what does it do to the commodity sector well if it strengthens the dollar i mean commodities could soften but I just think we're in such a time period where there hasn't been that much investment going on in the copper and oil space and, and demand is strong and will continue to strengthen 
where there's not enough reinvestment going on, we're going to have a lot of good years ahead of us. It's a, the, the, tech, the technicalities versus the fundamentals. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think fundamentals will, will prevail, for sure. Because it's just, you still see like how it, so many people missed their guidance last year on, on the copper producing side. Yeah. And so, and demand, if, if we're going to play out this electric vehicle or the green, you know, electrification revolution and want to play that out, there's going to be such a shortfall in copper. Well, and, and do, you, do you think that's a theme that could play out this year as well, you know, not meeting their output guidance? I mean, there's a number number yeah. of factors that are going in there, higher prices. I mean, yeah. you're seeing smelters shutting down in, yeah. in Asia and Europe. I mean, I mean this, it, it, it is a very interesting time right yeah. now. No, extremely. I, and I think it's just setting us up for early innings into into a good cycle. Yeah. On the processing side, I mean, you know, just kind of curious. So we're seeing smelters being shut down because of high energy prices. So there's yeah. less output coming out from the smelters. Yeah. Um, you know, in Sweden, it's pretty interesting because they're actually like companies like Bulletin is is investing more into because they can use hydroelectric power yeah. sustainably to power their smelters. So you know, they're actually putting more money in here at the time. You know, what is the future of the energy, the the energy crunch with metals output here. Like, do we need to start getting creative? Well, I think like as we look at the Jose Maria development, you know, our goal is like, can we build this mine and, and have it be carbon neutral? So obviously, San Juan, where we're located, is optimal place for for wind and solar. So you want to look to do that. Um, obviously, I think it's the right thing to do, and then also um, kind of try and free you from the grid a bit. Right. Um, but obviously, if, you, if you're in a place like in the DRC where you, where you have a lot of hydroelectricity, uh, you're in, in very you know favorable condition. Yeah. Uh, we had a conversation um, yesterday with somebody from Stantec, but we were talking about maybe is there an opportunity for small module nuclear reactors to power operations. Were you given any thought look at that? Yeah, that was... I think nuclear obviously can play a big role. Um, governments have to get behind it, and they've been going the wrong way. Um, China's building a bunch of nuclear reactors, but it's funny, like Sweden we talk about, in southern Sweden they had two nuclear reactors that sh they shut down and then yeah. prices started going crazy if you weren't able to access uh, hydro. Um, I think it'd just be, it's tough enough in the, in the mining space. <laughs> I, I, I think trying to bring a small nuclear reactor on board as well, will, you'll face some headwinds. Mm -hmm. If it makes sense and you can prove the safety, um, it makes a ton of sense, but I, I just think governments are going to be a little cautious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's let's talk about uh, Jose Maria here. Uh, you know, really, the big news was late in the year that uh, it's going to be acquired by Lundin Mining. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, I, I don't think this came as a surprise much to anybody. It, you know, I think it would have been a bigger surprise if somebody else would have came in and made an offer. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, kind of talk about how, you know, about this transition, what's 2022 look like through this, and where do you, kind of, what, what, what will be your role moving forward? Yeah, I think with, you know, ever since I took the role, I believe it was November 2018, when I was CEO of Jose, um, we've had interest on the project. Uh, it's varied from, from streamers, to state-owned companies, to other mining outfits. Um, and that we always felt that if we, could, we can continue to move the project forward and we 
with the backing of, of the family, we could continue to do that and, and create value. I think when we started to get to the point where we want to start construction this year, and you have a, a, a multi-billion dollar capex, it's, we got to a point where the checks get pretty big. Right. And so we were, we were talking to a lot of streamers and, and wanting to, to do it ourselves, and then other companies that, that showed any interest was always you know, on, a, on a cash basis. And so when the discussions with Lending Mining uh, heated up and they made a proposal to do 70% uh, stock and 30% and, and cash, I thought that was very attractive because it gave my shareholders an opportunity to take stock and continue to ride uh, the upside of, of, of the deposit. So that's why we felt uh, the Lending Mine transaction would, would be good for, for everyone involved. Can you, s is it fair for investors to watch this district? I feel like, I mean, there, there's a lot going on here, but you can kind of see the progression of what could happen in the future. You know, looking at Fila, what they've been doing in exploration, you're going to have the infrastructure to start mm -hmm. mining and processing. You know, like, can we? Is it fair to, to see that progression of what could happen in the next 10, 15 years? I think it's easy for everyone to go there, but at the end of the day, when we start these, uh, when if we start a, a company, it's never. The mindset is never, okay, we'll do it and we'll rely on another company to have success. It's always, okay, maybe like, you know, all three deposits were in NGX and we thought they weren't getting value, so we spun them all out and then it was a clear vision. Like, okay, mm -hmm. Fila needs to continue to explore. You need to continue uh, advancing Jose Maria and get it to, you know, get your ESIA submitted and, and get through feasibility study. Um, now that, that lending mining, uh, is acquiring Jose Maria, people quickly say, okay, it's Philo next. But the path of both uh, projects is, is very clear. You've got to develop Jose, that's going to take uh, some time and, and put it in production. And Philo, you've got to continue to, to drill it out. Um, what happens in the future is, is tough to say, but never thinking preconceived that, okay, this X date, then we'll start talking Philo and Lindley Mining. That's that's not the case at all. Yeah. Well, I mean, Philo, because of its system, is going to take a lot of drilling, right? Yep. And so, and this is where more junior micro companies get stuck, is because big porphyry systems take a lot of drilling. You got to raise yep. money, dilute, drill, raise money, drill. Mm -hmm. And you know, you don't discover a porphyry; you build a porphyry. That's a that, that's a saying. So it's easier to do it if you have some cash flow, right, coming in to fund that drilling. Yeah. It's you know, and, and that's where it's like, well, this it just it it just it makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's all coming back around. Yeah, like if Jose Maria, if we were still standalone, I mean, you'd want to get in production and have that cash flow instead of doing anything with Philo prior to both of you guys being in prior to having any cash flow. So that takes some time. And I think Lending Mining's view is they're looking at it as okay, we have a big task. This can. Uh, Rein, reinvent the, the company and add a add to, tremendous uh, growth to their production profile. And until that's achieved, I don't think they'll be looking at doing too much right. else. So where does it leave you? I'm, uh, I think when it comes to you know, me and my brothers, we're happy to do uh, whatever it, it takes for, for the group and the companies in the group to have success. Um, 
with Lundin Mining, I'm, I'm happy to stay with the project team that we put together that's in charge by, that's being run by Phil Brummett and make sure Jose Maria is a success. Uh, but we're going through that, that dialogue now with Lundin Mining uh, to see how, how the, the table's laid when the transaction closes at the end of April. Okay. So we'll see, we'll see yeah. where you land. Yeah. Where, it's the end of April, you'll, we'll, we'll, we'll know more? Yeah, end of April. Okay. But right now, obviously, super enjoying my time still being with the CEO of Jose and then uh, super fun seeing the team at Philo have the success and, and also on the board of NGX and seeing Voitech um, starting drilling at Los Salados and uh, continuing to drill at Viantro, which will allow him to, it's an earn-in at Viantro, a property in, uh, in Catamarca, so he'll be able to earn in and, and get his 100%. And then on the Los Salados side, it's super interesting because uh, Jack Snippon, the 36% partner of Los Alados, is, is not participating in the field program this year, so they'll get diluted down and, you know, for, for relatively not, not big costs. And so we can increase our ownership in Los Alados by doing some really attractive drilling and, and extending that high-grade zone. Hmm. So it's, it's super fun following the stories and, and uh, doing whatever the guys need or, or what I can do to help push them forward. Hmm. Um. It's good to catch up with you. Yeah, in person. Yeah, yeah, really good. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it, so you know, it, it seems like there's a lot of wind to the sails down there with all yeah. these projects and kind of the development, and and obviously the market's helping. Yeah. Uh, generally, uh, you know, we need more copper. We need more copper, and yeah, and it's nice, like you said, you know, Fila will have, you know, doesn't have any cash flow, but it's also not that uh, damaging to the to the shares trucker raising in, bring in uh, new equity. Yeah. Uh, by the way, thanks for the book. Oh, of course. I'm happy. Uh, <laughs> we have a couple copies left in the office, so very happy to, to bring it down. I, 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 like I it. think I need to like run it back to my hotel room and lock it in the <laughs> safe because somebody's going to try to snag it from me. I know. I hear it's going for pretty uh, crazy prices online. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. And the socks might go for that that high too someday. I really like the socks. I think <laughs> the fill your boots crew, that's... Big shout out to those guys. I think it's a lot of fun. And, and every time we have good news and everyone puts their socks on and, and, and you see everyone posting the pictures on Twitter, uh, I love it. <laughs> All right, Adam. Uh, good to see you. Let's catch up maybe later this spring after this deal closes and, and see how it all played out. For sure. Happy to do so. Thanks, Trevor. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's Adam Lundin from Jose Maria Resources. They trade on the TSX with J-O-S-E and on the OTC. QB in the U.S. with J-O-S. MF. Uh, that's going to wrap things up for me here at the Roundup Conference. Big thank you to everybody who uh, uh, came to the to the booth here. We did a lot of interviews. Thanks to everybody out there listening. There's going to be a lot to catch up on on your flights and drives back home. We'll be back Monday morning with the news briefing. Have a great weekend and be well. The information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decision.